Our gospel reading this day picks up where it left off last week. You will recall two weeks ago we read and heard read the story of Jesus crossing the Sea of Galilee to the land of the Gerasenes, effectively a foreign country. Jesus serves and does ministry there, and last week we read the story of Jesus crossing back across the sea again, back to the place of the Israelites, where he heals a woman sick for 12 years, and he raises a 12-year-old girl from the dead. This week, the story continues with Jesus once again on the move. So, friends, let us continue listening now for a word from God, hearing these verses from the beginning of Mark chapter 6. Now, Jesus left there and went to his hometown, accompanied by his disciples. When the Sabbath came, Jesus began to teach in the synagogue there in Nazareth, and many who heard him were amazed. Where did this man get these things, they asked? What's this wisdom that has been given him? What are these remarkable miracles he is performing? Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense at Jesus. Now Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his own town, among his relatives and in his own home. Jesus could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. And he was amazed, amazed at their lack of faith. Then Jesus went around teaching from village to village. And calling the twelve to him, Jesus began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over impure spirits. And these were Jesus' instructions to those disciples. Take nothing for the journey, he said, except a staff. No bread, no bag, no money in your belts. Wear sandals, but not an extra shirt. Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you leave that town. And if any place will not welcome you or listen to you, leave that place and shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. And the disciples went out and they preached that people should repent. And they drove out many demons and anointed many sick people with oil and healed them. Friends, this is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Our sermon today is titled, Pack Light. Let us pray. Good and gracious God, whatever weight it is we carry into this place today, whatever anxiety, whatever worry, whatever grief and stress. So God, we pray that you might lighten our loads, if only a little. Indeed, O oh God, we pray that through the work of your Spirit, you might show us what it is you desire for us to carry in this life. We pray that through your Spirit, indeed, this old story might be bridged 
into our lives today. That the words of my mouth and that the meditations of all of our hearts gathered here in your sight might be pleasing. For you and you alone are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. One of my favorite books of all time is by the American writer slash humorist Bill Bryson. It's called A Walk in the Woods. Anyone read it? It's the 1998 autobiographical account of Bryson and his out-of-shape, long-lost, crude childhood friend attempting to explore America by hiking the Appalachian Trail. They launch themselves out into the wilderness with no prior experience whatsoever. Now, in addition to having what is perhaps one of the most hilarious exposés on a decidedly non-hilarious topic of all the different ways bears can maim, maul, and kill a person hiking through the woods, Bryson has this wonderful scene at the beginning of the book where he describes his sojourn to the local outfitter shop to buy all the supplies and gear that he'll need for this journey. Helped by a friendly store clerk, he picks out a tent and a pack and a sleeping bag and a knife and a flashlight and a compass and a cook set and a stovetop and bungee cords and a patching kit and all the different things you need to hike 2,000 plus miles. I ended up with enough equipment, he quips, to bring full employment to a veil of Sherpas by the end of the day. He notes, though, in this description how the clerk that's helping him pick all of these different pieces of equipment is just obsessed with the weight of every single thing. Bryson is sort of cheap like me, and he goes to great lengths to describe how appalled he was that one pack was $200 more than another simply because it weighed only a few ounces less than the other. But he describes at the end of this day how all of this equipment that he's picked out is spread out around him on the floor of this store, and it's in that moment that he becomes aware for the first time how ounces accumulate into pounds. I love that line. He says, as this equipment piled up, I began to appreciate how ounces accumulate into pounds. You know, it's basically the same exact scene that's being described in our scripture passage this morning. Jesus has called the disciples to him, And he has spread out in the dirt at their feet all the equipment that they're going to need for this journey that they're about to begin. The journey of Christian discipleship. And if you were to summarize the packing list that he is laying out for them in two words, it would be this. Pack light. Take nothing for the journey, he says, except a staff. No bread, No bag, no money in your belts. Wear sandals, but not an extra shirt. Now, on the one hand, I think Jesus' packing list here is purely practical. I think Jesus knows what Bryson learned that day, which is that ounces accumulate into pounds. 
I think Jesus knows that the less weight the disciples carry, the fewer things they take with them, the less time it will take to pack the donkey or the mule or whatever every morning in the town that they are in, the more flexible they can be. The faster they can move, the further they can go. I read this week that a packing list in many ways defines the community that someone is trying to create. I remember when I was on staff at First Presbyterian Church of Atlanta when I was in seminary, we had a packing list for every trip we took with the young people in that church. And just as important as what appeared on the packing list was what did not. We had this rule that any trip we took, be it a retreat, a trip down the street, or a mission trip, the young people in that church could not bring with them one particular item. Can you guess what it was? A cell phone. Man, they would mope and they would complain and the adults became like these human like metal detectors. We could just smell out technology. <laughs> but what was amazing was that by the end of the week, really by the end of the first day, What was not included on that packing list fundamentally shaped the community that was formed in that group. Suddenly in this group of teenagers, rather than everyone doing this, everyone was looking at each other. They were talking to one another. Quite remarkable in this world that we live in. It makes me wonder if perhaps those adults in our midst today might consider taking one thing off their daily packing list, that we too might form communities where we look one another in the eye. Regardless that comment about packing lists defining the community you wish to shape made me realize that Jesus in many ways is defining the type of community that he wishes to shape in this packing list for the disciples. The community that Jesus is seeking to create amongst his disciples back then and today is a community where we share what we have. And more than that, it's a community that relies on the hospitality of strangers. I heard it said not long ago that the greatest lesson that Western Christians, you, me, us affluent, civilized people in the 21st century, the greatest lesson that we have lost and that we need to relearn is the experience of relying on the hospitality of strangers. I think we sometimes lose sight of the fact that most of us here, if we go to another city, we can just buy the hotel room. If we need something, we can just pull out the credit card and get it. So seldom is it that we truly have to rely on the hospitality of a stranger. The person who made this comment, I think, was trying to point out that if you really want to know what God's grace feels like, if you want to get close to the weight of God's love, try showing up on the doorstep of a stranger with nothing. With no money, no bottle of wine, no casserole, no embroidered tea towel. I know you Southerners. 
Try showing up on the doorstep of a stranger with nothing at all and being welcomed in, being given a meal, being shown a place to rest your head, being shown authentic and true hospitality that you have no way of repaying and that you did nothing to deserve. There's a lot of grace in an experience like that one. I think Jesus' packing list is very practical, but I think also there's something deeper here as well. I think we need to remember that this part of the story, Jesus' instructions about what to take for the disciples, is immediately following the story of Jesus' experience of being rejected in his own hometown. Can you imagine what that must have felt like for Jesus? Who is this carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son, that teenage unwed mother? Who is he performing miracles? You see, Jesus knows that the life of discipleship, the life of following God's call, is one that often brings with it very real hurt and rejection and shame and suffering of both the small and the big variety. Jesus knows what it feels like for the ounces of hurt to add up over time until we each wake up feeling as if the weight of life itself might crush us. Jesus knows what it feels like to live life when life feels like a long walk in the woods. A walk with no prior experience, a walk full of steep slopes and cold mornings and sweltering afternoons. Jesus knows what it is like to wonder whether or not any of this matters, (laughs) whether or not it even makes a difference what we do or do not pack in life. Jesus knows what it feels like to wonder if God really cares, if God's really leading us anywhere, If amongst the people who should know me best, the people who brought birthday presents to my childhood birthdays now look at me and ridicule me and reject me, Jesus knows what life can feel like sometimes. You know, some of the most inspiring people for my personal faith are these mission co-workers in our denomination. We had one with us a little over a month ago, John McCall, who has served for decades now in Taiwan. Our church supports five other people in addition to John. They are immensely gifted, talented, faithful people who serve in some of the forest-flung corners of our world. And they are people who, every time I'm in their presence, teach me something about packing light. We got this letter recently from two mission co-workers, a couple medical doctors who have served for 28 years in Bangladesh, doctors Les and Cindy Morgan. And I noticed in this latest letter that you could almost feel the weight of the ministry in that place. Les was the one writing this time, and he describes in it 
how the poverty and the corruption and the chaos of that country have a way of just sucking the spirit out of you and replacing it with these overwhelming feelings of powerlessness and anger and fatigue. And yet, he said, he still finds the strength to carry on every day. And the place where he draws his strength is from the faces and the encounters with people far out in the countryside, people who are perhaps the poorest poor on the face of planet Earth. He tells this story in this letter of an encounter that he and Cindy had a few weeks prior with an old woman who had suffered a massive stroke about two months before they found her. When they came into her home, she was laying near motionless on a straw bed. He describes how she had sunken eyes and parched lips and matted hair. She had shallow breaths. They did what they could for her, and then at the end of their visit, they did what they do at the end of every visit. They prayed with this woman. They laid hands on her and Les prayed in Bengali. He writes this. He says, The woman whose name was Shohagai remained motionless throughout my prayer. I was not even sure, he says, if she sensed us laying our hands on her or even heard the words that I prayed or felt me holding her hand. And yet still in faith, we gave what we believed God had led us to her to give. The promised hope of God's compassion, of God's mercy, of God's healing power. And then when I finish praying, he concludes, this dying woman who he wasn't even sure heard a single word coming out of his mouth, slowly lifted my hand to her lips and kissed it and wept. It's a powerful reminder for why. Why we are called to pack light. Because like the disciples at the end of this passage, like John McCall and Les and Cindy Morgan, each of us here today, we are all ultimately sent out from this place to give others what God has given us to carry in this life. The promised hope of God's compassion, of God's mercy, of God's healing presence. So imagine for a moment what would be on the ground at your feet. What equipment is it that we have each brought into this place today? Imagine all those ounces of cynicism and anger and fear and envy. Imagine all those material things that we have been obsessing over, that we've been clinging to, that we just cannot imagine life without. And now imagine letting it go. Imagine leaving here today having shed some of that weight. And then imagine what it would be like if instead of carrying all that baggage, all that physical and spiritual baggage, we instead committed ourselves this day to carrying 
only a quiver full of acts and words that seek to share that which God has given us, that compassion, that mercy, that healing. Imagine what it would be like if disciples today, each of us, let all the ounces of Christ-like love add up in us until the only weight that would register on the scale of our lives were the pounds of God's sheer grace in us. What if? You know, I don't quite know how to get to that place but I do know how to start. Start by packing light. When life feels as if it is one long, arduous walk through the woods, when you encounter others who have deaf ears to whatever love or compassion it is you seek to show, when you encounter roadblocks or ridicule, follow Jesus' example, dust off your feet, Trust and remember that God is the one who is capable of being at work even where we are not. It's interesting that in our denomination we call our missionaries mission co-workers because they partner with people already in the countries where they serve. They don't pretend that they are the ones bringing God to them. There is the built-in assumption that God is already wherever they show up. So when life feels like a long walk through the woods, when you encounter those roadblocks, dust off your feet and keep going. Keep teaching, keep preaching, keep healing, keep confronting evil, keep putting one foot in front of the other. Keep following the one who sends us out with that greatest command written on our hearts to love God and to love neighbor. Amen.